You probably wondered where I was. Well, I turned on the camera and I saw the preview, and it turns out my shirt was inside out. And you don't want to go live to the world with your shirt inside out. And so I had to make you wait. Didn't want to see you do a... Didn't want you to have to watch the wardrobe adjustment. Wardrobe failure. Well, it looks like the weather forecast for my kitchen is uh, no rain. Yeah, for the first time in two days, the weather forecast inside my house in my kitchen, no rain. Spent the entire day yesterday trying to fix a sprinkler system leak, and I had a lot of rain in the kitchen, let's just say. But it's all fixed now. So, how would you like to enjoy the simultaneous sip? I know, I know. That's why you're here. Of course you'd like to enjoy it. And all you'd need is a cup or mug or glass, a tank of chalice of time, a canteen jug of flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. And I don't like that kitchen rainwater. I like coffee. Join me now for the dopamine of the day. The thing makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip, and it's going to excite people all over the world right now. Go. Mm. You want a little uh, hypnosis trick? I know you do. Here's a little trick. To make people uh, listen to your uh, points, and this works in hypnosis, but it can work in just communication. The amount you pause and the emphasis you put on things can be really, really... uh, Sticky, meaning that if you vary your voice just right, people can't look away because they're going to wait for your next word. So I'll give you an example of that. If I were going to say, for example, that the best thing in the world was spaghetti. Made you wait, didn't I? See how I made you wait? (laughs) One of the things about public speaking is that time... Um, flows differently for the person who's speaking than for the audience. And you have, to, you have to understand that difference and compensate for it. But that's another story. Let's talk about the golden age, which is upon us. You know, I was talking about the golden age almost here, and then the pandemic hit, and people said, Scott, 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 I don't think you've ever been more wrong about the golden age because we got ourselves a pandemic instead. To which I said... What kind of a bad optimist are you? If you were a good optimist, like me, and like most of you, you would say to yourself, sometimes you've got to reboot the system. Sometimes before you can build an impressive new building, you have to demolish the one that's there. And the pandemic, like some big reboot, just made us rethink everything, try different things, change our priorities... And here's one of the uh, side effects that may have come out of the coronavirus pandemic. Apparently, this mRNA vaccine is a platform which has a very good chance of working for not only, you know, obviously this this, uh, virus, but future viruses. So our position against future pandemics might be way better than it was because of what happened this year. But 
Here's the fun part. One of the scientists uh, behind the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine um, says that uh, the same technology has a good chance of working for cancer. And not only might it work for cancer, but they might be able to make a vaccine that works on just your cancer. <laughs> a customized vaccine. Now, we're, we're not right knocking on the door of that, but apparently there's nothing about the technology that tells you it can't be done. Which is to say, it's looking at this point where it's more of an engineering problem, where, where you've figured out the science part, but now you've got to experiment your way to making it useful. And once you pass out of that pure science part and you get into, I'll call it the engineering part, you know, that trial and error, try, trying to get a light bulb that will last longer type of thing, you just keep trying it, we might, we might, we might be entering the engineering phase for curing cancer. <laughs> now, you didn't see that coming out of the pandemic, did you? Have you noticed that uh, even though Trump is out of the news, he's just always in your head and he's like this filter, and any news story you see, uh, at least if you've been talking about politics for the last several years, like I have, everything looks like a Trump story even when it isn't. So here's a story about LeBron James. He gets uh, some kind of an ankle injury, and he's going to be out indefinitely. And this is a pure sports story. And when I read this story, all I think is, wow, it seems like Trump critics have a lot of bad luck. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. And I thought, wait a minute. It's not just Trump critics that have bad luck. I feel as though even Trump supporters have bad luck. That if you care about Trump, something bad is going to happen to you. <laughs> now, of course, you know, it doesn't matter which way you care. You, you hate him or you love him, something bad will happen to you. Now, of course, this is just uh, psychological confirmation bias thing. There, there's nothing to it statistically. But because the news always calls out people who are famous for more than one thing, and one of them is criticizing Trump, it, it has this weird impression where uh, you're either going to have a really good time, like, uh, like Brady you know, winning the Super Bowl, or a really bad time, like LeBron getting injured. But somehow it's all about Trump. But it isn't. Um, also about LeBron, apparently LeBron was asked if he's going to get the vaccination. Now keep in mind that LeBron has voluntarily taken what I'd call a leadership position in society. And for the, the top athletes, they almost can't avoid it, right? Almost anything they do, it just puts them in a position of, you know, what are you doing? And then it's a leadership thing, even if they didn't want that to be the case. So LeBron has taken some leadership positions on the various wokeness items. So he's, he's all in on the wokeness stuff. But, and like the you know, hoaxes in particular. So he, he pushed the, I'm pretty sure he pushed the uh, Charlottesville hoax. So... When it comes to hoaxes and wokeness, he's all in on leadership. But when they asked him if he wanted, if he was going to get the vaccination, he said he'd uh, planning on keeping that decision private. He's planning on keeping his vaccination decision private. Now, how much influence would LeBron James have on the black community who is hesitant to get the vaccination? 
Somebody says that means no, but I'll bet not. If, if you wanted to bet against me, I would bet it means yes, that he got it. Because remember, there are a lot of people who think that's a dumb idea. So if you got the vaccination, you wouldn't want to have to explain it all the time. So it might be that, it might be that not making a comment is the only way he can you know, live his life because he doesn't want to have to be explaining this every day. So I can see that. But I do question why he would not take leadership in the thing that saves lives, but he would take leadership in the thing that he gets everything wrong. He can't tell the hoaxes from the real stuff and and the wokeness. So here's the problem with making your sports stars your leaders. They're not really trained for that. You know, if you ask me how smart is LeBron James... I would say if you just based it on you know, his ability to succeed so well at his sport, it's not all about physicality. He must have some kind of genius that applies to you know, his, his chosen sport. And if you watch him play, it does look like genius. It's just a you know, specialized kind. Uh, but he doesn't really have the, exactly the right material for this kind of leadership, and I think it shows in this case. Here's a story that you're not hearing. Why is it that um, the people who are most resistant to getting the vaccinations are black Americans and Trump supporters? Where are all the stories saying, you know, Trump supporters and black Americans sure have a lot in common? Wouldn't you expect that? That there's always that story about the... Um, the strange bedfellows and the, the fish out of water and any time two things that shouldn't be on the same team. You know, if, if Ted Cruz tweets something about AOC that's you know, on the same side, which he's done, it's a national story, right? It's like, wait a minute. Ted Cruz can't be agreeing with AOC. That can't be happening. But here, one of the biggest stories in the world is that... Um, Trump supporters and black Americans have very similar skepticism about the science and the experts. And I feel like, I've been saying this for four years now, that it seems to me that black Americans are natural Republicans. I know it seems weird, but I, I I think the trend, if you had to project forward, there'll be a lot more black conservatives because it works. It works. If you, tell you, if you say, I think I'll be a uh, Democrat, let's say you're, you're black, you're American, you're trying to decide you know, who you are in life, etc. If you decide that you're you know, one of the Democrats, you get thrown in with every other uh, ethnic um, gender situation, and you're not very special. You're just another person who's a victim in some ways, right? But have you noticed that Every, it seems like every black person who becomes a Republican does really well. You know, they, they get more attention because it's a little more special, get, get a more, you know, it's more uh, non, non-standard, you know, a little bit, a little bit non-standard, not a lot. Um, so it just seems to me that the black population will probably eventually figure out that the Republicans are the ones who have better systems, and, and they're just better off, and they'll get more of what they need that way. 
Um, I told you that I was going to start a thing, which I haven't yet started, except a little bit, of defending the hard to defend. And I'm going to do this on Tuesday. I'll announce later who I'm defending. But I'm going to... Uh, I haven't signed on yet to Clubhouse, but I'm planning to do that and by Tuesday. And I'll do a Clubhouse in which I'm going to defend a really hard-to-defend person. All right? And we'll let you know who it is later. Now, keep in mind that the whole point of the exercise, the point of the exercise is to pick somebody who's hard to defend. Right? So I'm going to act like a defense attorney for somebody who maybe doesn't have the same access to defend themselves. Now, that doesn't mean I agree with them. Hear that clearly. Doesn't mean I'm on their side, although I might be. You don't know. It's just not the point. The point of it is to give somebody a voice. So we'll do that on Tuesday. I'll give you more information about that. Uh, Matthew McConaughey says he's considering running for Texas governor. Says it's an honorable thing. Now, I don't know if you've seen any video of uh, Matthew McConaughey lately, but he seems to be transitioning to become a, a middle-aged woman. And it's an interesting choice because he was like the country's sexiest man, I think, a few years. But he's decided, at least visually, to take on, um, to take on the appearance of a uh, middle-aged woman. I don't know why, but if you've seen the videos, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And he's, a, he's quite sincere, in a weird way. Um, in the Democrats Eat Their Own, Jack Posavik was uh, tweeting this morning. So you heard the story about Alexei... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, uh, Alexei McCammond was going to work at Teen Vogue, but she got canceled because she said some uh, anti-Asian things, I think. So she gets canceled, but one of the people who canceled her, another staffer at Teen Vogue, turns out she used the N-word more than once in tweets. And now she's canceled. So now the Democrats have canceled one of their own, and then one of the cancelers of one of the cancelers of one of their own got canceled by their own. Do they see the problem yet? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. Now, I should point out, that this latest uh, accused, Teen Vogue staffer, who used the N-word in her tweets, if you read the tweets, it's pretty clear she's not using it in an insulting way or a racist way. But does it matter? No. Indeed, it looked like she was trying to use it in a, in a way that was too familiar for Twitter, if you know what I mean. <laughs> she said something that maybe she could have said to her friend and gotten away with it. But you don't say that on Twitter in 2021 and expect not to get canceled. Um, Fox News has created a story out of pretending they don't understand how analogies work. How many times have you seen a story that depended on the person writing the story not knowing what an analogy was or how they work? So here's Fox News. Their headline says, about Governor Cuomo. It says, Cuomo threatened to compare a critic to a child rapist in a leaked audio. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Listen to that headline. A governor 
Governor Cuomo threatened to compare one of his critics to a child rapist? That's pretty bad. Until you read the story, and it goes like this. So there were some, um, some Democrats, so that's his party, but they were endorsing him, but they were going to give him sort of a, a tepid endorsement and say, well, he's not our first choice, but he's better than a Republican. And Cuomo was arguing with this person on the phone and saying, you know, that's not good enough. We're both Democrats, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. And he, was, he uses this analogy um, to argue his point. So Cuomo allegedly said, if you ever say, well, he's better than a Republican, again, then I'm going to say, you're better than a child rapist. How about that? Cuomo was heard telling Lipton on the call. Now, that's just an analogy. <laughs> that's not a threat. Do, do you read this and think to yourself that Cuomo will actually go out and then just out of nothing, he will start comparing this guy to a child rapist in public for no reason that the public can understand? Did this look like a real threat? No. <laughs> this wasn't a threat. It was an analogy. The analogy is that, that simply saying somebody's better than a child rapist is saying they're not that good. Simply somebody, saying somebody is better than a Republican, if you happen to be a Democrat, is also not so good. It was just an analogy. And, and Fox News reports it like he threatened him. What a slow news day. Um, also, Fox News, and I'm going to teach you a little hypnosis trick here again. There's something I learned in hypnosis um, training years ago, and my hypnosis instructor told me this was true, and I said, I said, there's no way that's true. There's no way. And I'm going to do the same thing to you. I'm going to tell you something that I think is true, and you're going to say to yourself, no, nah, that's not true. <laughs> you might think it's true, but that's confirmation bias. That's not true. But then you're going to have the experience I had, which is once your filter is set, you're going to start to see it everywhere. And your confidence that this is not true is going to be eroded over time the same way mine was. And it goes like this. You can often, it's not a 100% thing, but often you can tell people's inner thoughts by their accidental choice of words. So if people use, uh, and, and I'll give you the example that the uh, hypnotists use. So let's say you're going on a date with somebody, it's a first date, and you're wondering if they're interested in you, and you're looking at your date, and you use the example of it's a guy trying to figure out if the woman is interested. And it's before dinner, and the woman means to say, I'm famished. Oh, man, I'm famished. But there's a little uh, slip of the tongue, and she says, oh, man, I'm ravished. I'm ravished. What that does is reveal that her inner thoughts were more sexual and that she's good to go because ravished has more to do with sex than it does to do with eating. So that it would not be an accidental slip of the tongue. It would be like a Freudian slip, if you will. And it would mean something. Well, I was reminded of that when I was looking at this Fox News uh, article about Jeffrey Tubin. And they used the phrase pulled off at least three times. CNN's chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin, pulled off 
a stunning upset on Saturday in his first round. They're talking about some, you know, troll tournament about hacks and stuff. Story doesn't matter. But they used the word pulled off, I think, two or three times in the story. Yeah, Tubin pulled it off. And now, um, somebody says that it was intentional, and I think it might have been. So it's possible that this was intentional. And it was just somebody who thought, I wonder if they're going to notice this is funny. Just, just stick it in there. If it's intentional, then it's actually just funny, and it's fine. But, and I'm not saying that this is an example of the mind-reading thing, but it reminded me that um, I've been using this technique forever, and man, does it work. <laughs> it really works. If you look for this accidental choice of words, it, it's just like opening somebody's brain up and reading it. It, it works so well that you're going to be mad at me when you find out how well it works, and you didn't know that until now. Um, I've asked the question, why isn't there no list, public list, of uh, public companies who are doing critical race theory training? Wouldn't you like to, uh, to, to know what group, so you could create maybe an index fund to either, vet, to either invest in them or to invest in the other group? Now, if, the, if you think the reason I brought this up is to suggest that a company that was uh, doing critical race theory training would have lower profits, um, don't assume that. They could have higher profits. Because you've got what I call the in search of excellence um, problem. You know, years ago, the book In Search of Excellence um, had as a thesis, I hope I'm not, rep- I hope I'm not misrepresenting this, that the better you treated your employees, the more you could attract good employees, and good employees are what make you successful. So that the, the, the really good treatment of your staff would be a way to predict who's going to do well. Now, at the time, when I was writing the Dilworth comic, as I still am, I said to myself, uh, that feels a little backwards to me. That feels like backwards thinking. Because in my experience, the companies that could treat their, their employees well were the ones that were already wildly profitable. So instead of, treating company, instead of treating employees well and that makes you profitable, it seemed obvious to me that companies who were rich had enough money to treat their employees well. <laughs> and that's all it was. Um, so in the, in likewise and now it's a different situation, but you can see how I got there, with the CRT index fund, it could be that only companies who are doing so well that they can, they can start worrying about non-core functions. It might be an indication of companies that think they're doing so well that they can now you know, worry about the, the broader societal things. It might actually be an index fund that outperforms. The, the other possibility is that it would end up being a bunch of companies that don't know what's important, <laughs> and then they would underperform. It might tell you there's something wrong with management, or it might tell you there's something right with management. It might be, it might be exactly the thing that makes them successful. But wouldn't you like to know? Given that the, this is training that's happening at public companies, and given that the public invests in these companies, and it's important... I would like to see some stats. Are these companies going to do better in the next year or worse than the average? Wouldn't you like to know? 
Um, Rasmussen reminds us that half of American voters do not believe that Joe Biden uh, is in charge of the presidency. (laughs) Have we ever been in a situation where half of the country didn't know who the president was? Because they couldn't tell if the guy who got elected actually is making the decisions. Uh, That's really different and shocking. And on Twitter, somebody was noting that our system is so good that you can elect somebody with dementia and mostly it keeps working. I would say there have been some mistakes, but mostly it keeps working. Um, Did you see the story about the Wax Museum, San Antonio Wax Museum? They had to remove their uh, Trump wax figure and put it in storage because people kept punching it. (laughs) I guess people kept punching the wax statue of Trump. And I've told you before that uh, one of the best business um, things to understand is that you don't tell your customers what business you're in. You do on day one, but eventually your customers tell you what business you're in because they treat you like you're in that business even if you didn't want to be in that business. And so it seems to me that the customers at this wax museum were teaching the wax museum that maybe they needed to be a different kind of business. Maybe they should be more in the punching bag kind of business. Have you ever seen this punching bag that looks like a, uh, uh, an adult white male and, and you punch it? But he's got a face that, I don't know, is it me? Does that not look a little like a muscular Trump with you know, maybe a little bit different haircut? Just a little bit? So it seems to me that the wax museum should have gone into the punching bag business make themselves a proper punching bag that'll take a punch and just become a boxing business. Yeah. Now, if I were Trump, I would be very tempted to create one of these punching bags as a fundraiser. Because would you buy... Well, I don't know if Trump supporters would buy a punching bag, but maybe his, his haters would. Could he fund himself entirely by getting his haters to buy expensive punching bags? <laughs> the Trump punching bags. Trump punch. Anyway. Um, so even the New York Times is saying that Trump's leadership on vaccinations was not just a success, but a really big one. And um, compared to Europe, Trump was the winner. Now, here's, here's how history is going to look at this. I think history is not going to um, be too clear on whether masks and keeping schools closed made as much difference as people hoped. But nobody's going to question that vaccines made a big difference. So it seems to me that um, history is going to judge that on the thing that we can't measure made much of a difference. And by the way, there are plenty of people, the experts still say masks make a difference. So the, the, the bulk of experts are still solidly on the pro-mask side. But nonetheless, it is true that when we try to look at the data of how the masks worked in this pandemic, it's not really clear, is it? Like, I, I'm still pro-mask because I think it had to at least decrease the viral load given that we know how much you are exposed to makes a difference in your outcomes, 
I still think the odds that a mask makes some difference in some cases is, you know, was worth the risk management. But given the history, won't be sure about the masks, but we will be very sure about vaccinations. It's going to look like the thing that Trump did right may have saved millions. Because, you know, our leadership on vaccines certainly affected the rest of the world. Trump might have saved millions. How many did he kill, to take the critic's perspective, how many did Trump kill by not being, let's say, serious enough about masks early on? We don't know. Don't know. Maybe some. Maybe a few. Maybe none. It can't be measured. We just don't know. So history is just going to frickin' love Trump because he did one of the greatest things that's ever been done. Now, to be fair, it could have gone wrong, right? It didn't have to work, but it did. And if you're a leader and you guess right, you do get credit. And it looks like he guessed right, and he did. he's getting credit. It's an amazing thing. But here's the question I ask. What's happening with China and vaccinations? Because why don't I know that? Is China as... Uh, as aggressive vaccinating? Because they get a lot of people. How in the world can they get all their people vaccinated? And here's the question I ask. What happens when the United States and Europe gets all vaccinated, but China isn't close to being vaccinated? Doesn't that virus get back into China? And doesn't China just get wiped out because they don't have vaccinations? I feel as if there's something I don't understand here. Can China continue to live in a world where other countries are traveling because they've been vaccinated, but China doesn't let those people in their country? Is that what's going to happen? Because either China has to stay in some kind of at least um, international lockdown, which I think they're somewhat internationally locked down, right? They're either going to have to stay isolated or they're going to have another wave of uh, pandemic that doesn't hit the United States. So I just have a question about that, because if they don't have another wave, why not? How, how could it not happen? Um, and, let me, and, and let me just throw this in the mix. Do you think that any intelligence agencies or countries are gaming this coronavirus? For example, do you think that anybody took a bunch of live virus and you know, just spread it in the city of the other or put it on the doorknobs of the, you know, the parliament of the, some other country so all the, all the people would get it. I feel as if there's a, a non-zero chance that somebody's intelligence agency is using the coronavirus for bad reasons. And here's the question. Is there any country in the world that would get vaccinated and be really mad at China? that would have the ability to reinfect China just for revenge. <laughs> now, I don't, think, I don't think a proper government would do anything like that. But there, there were the, uh, what was it, the opium wars? It wasn't that long ago, so anything's possible. Um, here's a question I saw on Twitter that has been bugging me a lot, which is when we're watching the... Uh, the crisis on the border and the, all the kids who are coming in unaccompanied, 
we have to assume that the kids did not make the deals with the cartels by themselves. That is to say that the cartels, no doubt, dealt with the parents, and the parents said, yes, I will pay you to take my children across the border, and then the cartel delivers them to the border. But doesn't that mean that every kid who comes into the United States is known by a cartel member who also knows their parents and has access to the parents? Doesn't that make tens of thousands of these migrant kids sort of have to do the bidding of the cartel once they get into this country? Because the alternative is, you know, I know where your parents live, and there's nothing you can do about it. I feel like we're letting in tens of thousands of kids who can easily be blackmailed by the cartel. That's not a story. (laughs) That's not a story. You know, and of course, obviously, most of the tens of thousands could be just innocent children and they go on with their life. But you wouldn't need that many kids who are in the pockets of the cartels to cause some trouble or at least participate in, you know, drug traffic or whatever. Um, So, you know, what, what is the worst thing about succeeding? The worst thing about succeeding is it breeds failure. The, the one thing that will guarantee your failure is succeeding. And you see that everywhere. Like if a company succeeds too much and it becomes known as this one thing, it's too hard to change to another thing, and then they fail because of that one thing. Like Polaroid cameras, I use the example. But Ron DeSantis has this problem now. So he's considered a success story as a governor in uh, Florida. But because he's so successful, where are the spring break crowds going to go? Where are people going to travel if, they, if they're going to travel? I feel like Ron DeSantis is so successful uh, that it's going to cause people to come in and wreck their state with outside coronavirus. So success breeds failure. And that's, that's going to be Ron DeSantis' problem. It's going, to, it's going to look like his latest decision was not so good. It still looks like his past decisions were pretty good, but this latest one to allow spring break, it's not going to look so good, I think. So, um, not many spring breaks, actually. I don't know what that means. Um, Curfews are starting. Yeah, in Florida, they're starting to arrest people and curfews and stuff. But one thing you can tell for sure is that young people do not care if old people die. <laughs> I think that's really clear, that uh, young people do not care about saving the lives of old people. It's just not, e- just not even interesting to them. And I can't say that I would have been any different at that age. Um, somebody says, why? Young people are under virtually zero risk from the, the virus. Is there still somebody watching this a year into the pandemic who doesn't understand that young people can spread the coronavirus? Because in the question, somebody was acting like young people don't have anything to do with anybody else. You know, if they don't get sick, that's just their business. But if you don't understand that they can infect other people, how, how could you have gone a year and not know that? 
Somebody's saying we're at herd. Yeah, I saw, I saw an article today that some scientists are saying we might be closer to herd than we think. Uh, I wouldn't rule that out, but I don't think that's credible yet. Um, but if the elderly are vaccinated, what's the risk? Um, low. And that's, that's why things are opening up. Yeah, between the fact that young people don't get it so much and old people are vaccinated, we're, we're, uh, we're getting ready to fix this. I was, I was taking a walk yesterday, and I'm walking all by myself down the sidewalk, and I see from a, a great distance two other people. One has a mask, but it's, it's down, and he's walking. He's, he's way ahead of me, so he's nowhere near me. And then there's a bicyclist coming around the corner and is going to pass this other person. Now, keep in mind... There are no other humans in visual sight because my neighborhood is you know, not that many people. Only three of us in the entire visual plane, and I'm, I'm completely out of their action. The bicyclist is wearing a mask. I, I can't explain it. How did we get to the point where a bicyclist is wearing a mask, biking where there are no people? Now, the bicyclist is in sort of the middle of the road because there's not even traffic. There's not even people in cars. So the bicyclist is pretty far from the guy on the sidewalk who has his mask off. And the guy on the sidewalk puts his mask on just for the moment that the guy in the bicycle who is 20 feet away when he passes him in the road just so he'll have the mask on when that guy goes by. And I said to myself... What's going on here? Because <laughs> there's something happening that is way beyond uh, the virus. There's like a psychological phenomenon here that I think will be studied for, studied for decades. Um, and I think that, yeah, somebody's saying in the comments, it's virtue signaling. That's exactly what it is. But I, and I find myself doing very similar things, which is I find myself giving people like way more space than they need if I'm passing them on sidewalks and stuff. And I feel that I'm also virtue signaling. But there's a little bit more to that. A little bit more. Somebody says being polite. Yeah, that's closer to it. Because what you don't know is what the other person is thinking. And there are people who are scared to death of the virus. So if I'm, you know, if I see somebody coming the other way who I think, uh, since I don't know, could be scared to death of getting the virus. Maybe they have comorbidities. You know, maybe they're just a scared person. Um, I would like to make them feel more comfortable. So I might wear a mask where it doesn't make any sense. I might give them extra space where it doesn't make any sense. So a lot of it is just about making other people feel comfortable. But there's another part of this that I don't know if anybody's felt this yet, but every time I see a stranger, like, you know, from the distance... They, they start giving me space before I'm even near them. I feel like that stranger did something for me. Because I don't think that they were giving space for themselves. Because nobody's really afraid outdoors, really. They're, they're just trying to be considerate to whoever they're walking past. And I have seen, because of the COVID distancing stuff, more people have acted considerate to me in the past year than all of my life put together. I've never seen so many physical acts of consideration 
You know, I, I will consider getting out of your way. I will put on this mask for you. And I have to admit, it's not all bad. You know, I want the masks to go away as soon as possible, just like all of you. They're horrible. Um, I mean, I had to wear a mask all day in my house yesterday because uh, one of the people working had a mask on. And, you know, if, if you let somebody in your house with a mask on, you're going to wear a mask, right? Just consideration. I didn't have to, but was being polite. Um, somebody says, it is terrible. You were wrong. No, it's net terrible. I'm not disagreeing with you that the masking is, on average, terrible. I don't, we don't know yet exactly how much difference it made. But I'm just saying that people have demonstrated a willingness to be considerate to other people at a scale which we've never seen before. That's all. And that's worth calling out. Yeah, it's, it's my house, so I could have done whatever I wanted, but I wanted to be considerate. That's all. Um, who is Zhao, Zhao Bei Deng was mentally unable to memorize and recite the nuclear football codes? I don't know what you're talking about. There's some story about Deng. I guess I'll have to catch up on that. All right, I don't have much else to say, so I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye for now. What a... Um, mind your own business on vaccines. <laughs> Joe Biden. Oh, they're calling Biden... Okay, I got it. Um, no more mass talk. Yeah. People get mad when I talk about masks. Um, I'm just looking at your comments. Have you ever hypnotized someone to do what you want? Well, that's what... Hypnosis... uh, I've hypnotized lots of people. I would say it's to do what they want. That's how it works. Oh, so, so you're making a joke on Joe Biden's name and calling them Show uh, Biden, Deng, so it sounds Chinese. I get it. Okay, I get it now. What book or course on hypnosis do I recommend? I don't. I've never seen a good book on it, or, and I'm not aware of any good course on it. Um, let's see. Oh, you're listening to my persuasion book now? Good, thanks. YouTube is shadow banning me big time? Yeah. My, my YouTube numbers are, are way, way down. Um, and I'm going to... By the way, I'm also on... Uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Rumble. So if you want to watch uh, on Rumble, you'd see it in replay. Um, can I hypnotize you to be happy to wear a mask? I wish I, wish I could. Oh, my sprinkler broke in my... Ceiling. I've got a fire suppression sprinkler, and it just got a little hole in it. Here's the weirdest thing about the uh, the fix of my sprinkler system. So we open up open up the ceiling, and you can see the actual leak spraying out, and it, it's spraying continuously. So there's no doubt about where the leak is. So the guy comes in, he removes that piece of pipe. You know, has to drain the pipes and turn off the water and stuff. And we take the pipe out where the leak was. And he hands it to me, and he goes, where's the leak in this? Because I replaced the part you said that had the leak, but here's the tube. 
I mean, show me where there's a hole in this. Because it wasn't where a joint was. It was like right in the middle of a length of tube. And this thing is like this real thick PVC or some kind of PVC. And there was no hole in it. (laughs) There was nothing wrong with it. No crack, no hole. And we couldn't make it leak artificially. We put water in it. We couldn't make it leak. It was some kind of PVC. And... um, but it stopped the problem when he replaced it. <laughs> a micro hole. Yeah. It, it was the, uh, the strangest thing. Well, even with pressure, though, you would still be able to see the hole, wouldn't you? Because it's not that much water pressure, is it? Yeah, I think it was a hairline fracture, but we couldn't find it when we looked at it, which was weird. All right, that's all for now, and I'll talk to you later. <laughs>